0: This is Basketball Youth on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Welcome in to a Fresh Basketball U Pod here on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe Apple, Spotify. Tyler Rocky with you here talking all things college basketball with you every single week. We love to break things down, get you ready for the college basketball season. That way you're not scrambling when you get to March and it's time to fill out those brackets. Be sure to tell all of your college hoops love and friends as well. We break down everything on this show. Love talking college basketball and I know A lot of people are starting to get to that point now where the NFL season's coming to an end. You need something else to watch to fill your weeks. I mean, we just had the last Thursday night football game of the year. What are we going to do on Thursday night? Well, Why don't we settle down with some college basketball every single week? How about it? So today on the show, we are going to go through... a real conference preview for all of the power conferences. And then I'll get to the best of the rest as well um, in college basketball to get you ready for this season as we head into the winter. And as conference play really gets underway, This is we've really seen the final stretch of non-con play. Now the games really mean something when you're looking at season uh, seeding and, and getting into that conference tournament and, and seeding and, and who's got the best chance of winning outright as well. So we're going to break down a couple things with all these power conference teams. We're going to get the winner's circle, the teams that I think that can win the conference. We're going to give you the player of the year as I see fit in the conference. And then I'm going to give you the burning question of what is the biggest thing to watch for and biggest thing that's kind of what's the cloud hanging over each of these conferences as we head into the full-on conference. There's been a couple sprinklings of games in the conference schedule so far, but now we get into the meat of it here as we get into January. Happy New Year to everyone as well. Hope everyone has been having a great holiday season. Um, And the new year for me always kind of signals, all right, here we go, strap in. This is the start of conference play in college basketball. So let's get right into it. We'll start... In the conference that is near and dear to this area and this neck of the woods, and that is the Big Ten. Here's what I've got here for the Big Ten, and I'm, I, I do want to go through some of these um, odds as well, all of them courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm not seeing any uh, up right now for the Big Ten, but I'll get to to the rest of them. It's because, as I'm recording this, there are some games that are taking place right now, and you don't always get all all those odds when games are in action, but... Getting into the the Big Ten here, and who do I view as being the teams in the winner's circle here? Who can actually go out and win this conference? I think there's a handful of teams. Maybe the, the deepest conference in terms of teams that could eventually win it. Um, but I'm going to go with Purdue, Indiana, Ohio State, Wisconsin. And I'm going to give an honorable mention to Illinois. But I'll get to to Illinois in the burning question part of this, uh, part of this Big Ten breakdown here. But those four teams plus Illinois right now, really inconsistent Illinois team. But when you look on paper, one of the most talented teams in the conference, and they've had big wins this year against Texas, another one, um, against UCLA earlier this season as well out in Vegas. There's so many different nuances because these big 10 teams kind of come in all shapes and sizes. You've got Purdue, a team that entered the season unranked. You've got Indiana. They're your preseason favorite. And then you've got teams like Ohio state and Wisconsin who are always just sort of hovering there around the top of the big 10. And we've seen those teams go out and win the conference. We saw Wisconsin win it a couple of years ago. Um, and, and they're always in the mix. Sometimes you get a uh, split too for the big 10 regular season champion. So, it's one of those things. I think the Big Ten is going to be really close this year. I think you're going to see it be one of the most neck-and-neck neck conferences. And you look at some of the teams that already have played some conference games so far, a couple of surprises of the teams that are undefeated, albeit the sample size only being a game or two. But Northwestern right now 1-0 in the Big Ten with a victory over Michigan State. I think Northwestern is better this year, but they're still one of the worst teams in the conference in terms of offensive production that you're going to find. More defensive-minded team, but hey, they, they take on Ohio State this weekend. If you go out and beat Ohio State this weekend, then I think people will really start taking Northwestern for real as a team that would be sitting at 11-2. and two. The other undefeated team that kind of catches my eye here early on is Michigan. And Michigan, even though they're 1-0 and 0 in the conference right now with a victory over a lowly Minnesota team, This team has been a disaster, really, to start the season. You've had some really close calls against some bad teams. And then last night, losing to Central Michigan on your home floor as well. This has not been the way that Juwan Howard has wanted to build this team out. And you're kind of wasting some important years here. You've got your son, Jet Howard, on the team as a freshman, one of the most talented freshmen in the country. And then you've got Hunter Dickinson, a guy who's been in the player of the year conversation the last couple of years. He's entering what is in all likelihood his last season, although you could have said that the last two seasons with him. He could be another Armando Baycott situation where he does maybe see all the way through his senior year. But this is going to be a real neck and neck conference. And all of this is to say there are some other teams that are playing really good basketball. In this conference as well. Rutgers has had some nice games this season. They went out and beat Indiana earlier this year. Maryland has had some good performances. But they've also gotten thumped a couple times. Albeit against some good teams. But the loss to to UCLA by 27. Kind of raised some questions. However. They've bounced back nicely with a couple of victories against some some bottom feeder teams in non-conference. Penn State has one of the most electric players in the country, in Jalen Pickett, a young guard, or rather an, uh, an elder guard on this team, um, but he's turned into one of the best players in the country. And that's where we sort of segue into uh, who do I think is ultimately going to come out on top? I think it's still going to be Indiana, and here's why. I look at Indiana as a team that even though they they have the the loss to Rutgers this season in the conference, they have played a really tough schedule in the sort of the middle section here. They really challenged themselves they didn't go out and do the 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 feast week tournament, but they made up for it with the back to back schedulings of Arizona and Kansas Now they did lose both of those games by double digits, but I think it taught them a little bit about. All right, that's what the the best of the best is going to look like night in and night out. And you still have the talent on the team to go out and be this top-level team. And I think part of the reasons why there have been some hiccups for this team is there have been some injuries. Jalen hood Shafino, one of their top freshmen, who's a 38% shooter from three on a team that needs three-point shooting this year, I think that, that his emergence and his return to the lineup on a consistent basis is going to be really important for this team. Xavier Johnson, a senior guard, he's battled some injuries. He got injured early in that Kansas game. But I think his return is going to really help this team. I, the one thing I, I need to see is that we know what Trace Jackson Davis is, and he's missed a couple games as well. He's a dominant force inside. Who's going to shoot the three ball at a high level on this Indiana team? Miller Kopp looks like a really nice start to that. He's shooting 45% from distance to start the year. So I like what Miller Kopp can bring to the table, but they're going to need to find a couple other pieces. Tamar Bates has had a nice start from distance at 42%. But if Indiana wants to be this real complete team, I think they need to be one of the top three or four teams from three-point in the conference. And they're a team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes, but they're going to have to make them at a high clip. We've seen in the past, I think another good example of this that you're seeing in college basketball now is Virginia, a team that has shot the ball at a high clip from three, albeit they're not shooting a lot, but they're maximizing those attempts to the best of their abilities, game in and game out, and that's why they've had early success. I think that this Indiana team, you've got a good coach with Mike Woodson, a guy who knows how to drop the X's and O's, but they're going to have to find that level of consistency when it comes against these really strong teams, and they're going to have to find their way on the road as well. They did have the the nice win against Xavier earlier this season on the road, but Rutgers on the road lose by fifteen. Neutral site against Arizona lose by fourteen, albeit they were hanging in that game for a good portion of it, and then Kansas getting their doors blown off at the Fog by twenty two points in that one, but. I think that that Kansas game was more Indiana playing poorly as opposed to, or I think it was more, yeah, Indiana shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers and stuff like that, as opposed to Kansas playing a really good game, 23 turnovers in that game for Indiana. So they'll have to shore some things up, but I think they can. I think they've got a veteran group with some splashy freshmen and young guys that can ultimately win this conference. My player of the year. It's it's pretty easy right now. It's clear... Pretty clear cut and dry. And it almost reminds me of what we saw a couple of years ago, actually, when Luca Garza won the player of the year, not just in the Big Ten, but nationally as well. Zach Eadie right now is the runaway favorite to be the player of the year in college basketball. Right now, and we're not even in the new year, but on FanDuel, Zach Eadie is minus 145 to win the Wooden Award for the best player in college basketball, the Heisman of college basketball. And you don't see guys emerge that quickly in terms of the odds, seeing a minus in front of their name. You don't see that very often, but Edie this season averaging about 22 points, 13 and a half rebounds, and also is blocking over two shots a game as well. He's seen his minutes increase up to over 30 per game. And without a doubt right now, he is the player of the year, not just in the conference, but in in all of the the sport. However, I don't want to discount what's happening with Jalen Pickett at Penn State because he has been phenomenal this year, a guy that transferred in from Siena a couple years ago, but to start the year, he's averaging sixteen points, seven and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists as well. He's doing it in all phases of the game and he's a six four guard and he's averaging over seven rebounds in a a very very talented conference. I'm excited to see what Jalen Pickett does for the rest of the season. We'll see. Uh, I think we'll see a couple of triple doubles out of him this year. He's just that type of player. But will his team be good enough for him to actually garner the uh, Big Ten player of the year? I don't know if he'll get to that point. But a senior guard, that kind of fits the criteria of what a lot of these voters look for. And I I think that with with Pickett, it it reminds me of the Luka Garza versus... Uh, Iyo debate from a couple of years ago is because again you got a big who's scoring a lot rebounding a lot putting up these gaudy numbers and then you've got the guard who's kind of the reason why his team's winning a lot of games too like without Iyo sumu that like there was some auxiliary help obviously kofi coburn and then trent frazier but Iowa was the engine for that team. He hit those big time shots, and I think we'll see Jalen Pickett hit some of those big time shots. Whereas you're not going to see Zach Eady. They're not drawing up a lot of plays for him down the stretch. Maybe a tip in play, but that that's where I see the Player of the Year race right now in the Big Ten. I like Eady to win it but I don't want to discount what Jalen Pickett has done so far this season. My burning question, I've, and I'm going to cheat here on, on the Big Ten here, and I think it's valid because we are in Big Ten country here in Chicago. I've got two. Who is Illinois is number one, because this is an Illinois team that to start Big Ten play already has dug itself into an O and 2 hole. They lost to Maryland on the road. Nothing wrong with that because Maryland is a, a, a solid team. And then you lose to Penn State by 15 at home. Now, I know I just pumped Jalen Pickett's tires right there, and he was great in that game, 26-6, and only turned the ball over twice. But this is an Illinois team that should be one of the best teams, not just in the conference, but in the entire country on paper. And you're losing by 15 at home in your home opener for the Big Ten. That cannot happen in a December game. Not just that. But they also go out and get blown out by Mizzou as well in the bragging rights game. Neutral site game. But this is a, a game that has tripped up Illinois in the past. But Illinois is certainly the better team than Mizzou. And it dropped them from 19th to 31st on Ken Palm at the time. They did go out and pick up a win against Bethune-Cookman. But after all, that is Bethune-Cookman. So who is Illinois. And I think there's a lot of consistency issues for this team. And none better than one of the guys who is one of their best players in Terrence Shannon. There's games where you'll see him go out there and hit eight three-pointers. There are also games where you'll see him go out there and be a liability from distance. Go 0 for 5. He's got a couple of those already built up. This team needs to find a consistent level. I like their point guard, Sky Clark, the freshman Five-star that decommitted from Kentucky and joined them. But you've got some championship-caliber guys on this team. Matthew, Matthew Mayer transferred in. And he's kind of he's being forced into this leadership role because he's coming from a championship program in Baylor. You've got some guys that have big-time experience on this team. And I think you need to see that sort of play, play out this year. When you have as many new pieces, especially new pieces in big roles there's going to be some growing pains. You look at what this team was from a season ago. It did not have Matthew Mayer. It did not have Dane Danger. It did not have Terrence Shannon. It did not have Sky Clark. And those are four of your most important players. I think there's going to be growing pains with this Illinois team. But there's a a stretch in January, the middle middle end of January, that I think is really going to define who Illinois is as a program this year. You're at home against Indiana. You're on the road or at home again against Ohio State with a five day gap in between going to, uh, Thursday to Tuesday with no weekend game. And then you've got a road game against Wisconsin. I want to see how Illinois gets up for those three games because I think those three games are going to define the entirety of their season right there. The other burning question I have for the Big Ten is can Purdue sustain this? They are the number one team in the country right now and very much playing like it too, but they began the season unranked and that always gives me a little bit of a cause to pause because I look at Purdue undefeated right now, 13 and zero. they were fantastic in the PK 85. They crushed Gonzaga. They crushed Duke. They had a, a great comeback win against Marquette. Who's playing some good basketball. Um, But then you got into some of these other games. After the PK-85, you go out and play Florida State, one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, and you beat them by 10 on the road. They're a team that I think matches up actually pretty well with Purdue because of the height that they can throw at them. Um, But I think a lot of people thought Purdue would maybe beat Florida State by 20-plus points after having that level of success against Gonzaga and Duke. You go out you kill Minnesota in the opener of the Big 10 but then you got into some close games overtime against Nebraska i don't think a lot of team a lot of people expected that to be as close as it was and then a close game against davidson uh you won by 8 but it was much closer than that over the course of the game now you've bounced back with a couple of gimmies against new orleans and florida AM, but First game in conference play, you got a big Monday matchup against Rutgers at home. I want to see what Purdue team we see in that one. Is it the team that has shown it's capable of blowing teams out? Or are we going to see Rutgers hang around and maybe steal one from them? Remember, it was Rutgers that knocked Purdue off last year to take them out of the one spot. So maybe a little bit of revenge for Matt Painter's team. But Zach Eady's been the player of the year so far, no doubt about it. And I want to see what this Purdue team, can they sustain this early level of success? All right, that was the Big Ten. Let's move on to the conference that I actually find most fascinating for this upcoming season, and that is the SEC. So looking at what is happening in the SEC, a ton of great teams in this one. It honestly reminds me a little bit of the Big not in terms of style of play, but in terms of caliber of teams, It reminds me of a couple of the Big Ten conference teams that we conference uh, teams. Yeah, I guess I should say it reminds me of the Big Ten of what we've seen from the last couple of years where there's just a lot of top tier talent across the board, really strongly coached a lot of good players within the conference. So here's what what my winner's circle looks like right now. I'm actually going to give you five five legitimate teams that I think can win this conference. They're Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Auburn. Auburn's one of those teams kind of on the fringes right now. Um, And you know what? I'll actually throw one more team in there just because I think they're a tough-nosed team. Um, I'll throw Mississippi State in there, one of the best defenses in the country. Um, And they, they lost to Alabama the other day to open up conference play, but I actually really like what I've seen from Mississippi State in the early portion of the season, sitting at 11-2. and two. So I'll throw them into the mix as well. The, the question, though, with those back two teams that I gave you, Auburn and Mississippi State, is do, will they have the offense to play in this conference? We know they'll have the defense, but can you go up against an Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, and bring the offense with it as well? Because those are some high-octane offensive teams in the country. So I gave you the five there. Here's who I think ultimately wins out. I think it will be Tennessee. They've had a really strong start to the season. They, they had the little hiccup against Colorado to open the year and then they lose to, to Arizona in a really chippy game. Um, top offense against top defense. That was a fantastic game. Um, but hats off to, to Arizona and Tennessee did go on the road for that one as well. Um, but this is a team that shares the basketball really well. Best, uh, assist to field goal ratio in the entire country. Number one defense in the country Number one offensive rebounding team in the country as well. They've surpassed Duke for that mark. So they do a lot of things really well. It's just going to be... There's going to be nights when this team gets really cold. They're a, not a good shooting team. Sure, you're going to get a lot of second-chance opportunities, but there's going to be nights where this team goes cold, and you're going to see games played in the 50s, and it's going to be, oh, can you, get, can you win a race to, like, 57? And I don't know if if uh, Tennessee is going to be able to do that against teams every single night just because of the offensive deficiencies that they do have. Um, but I do think that over the, the course of the season, I think the defense is going to win the battle of attrition in what I think is the strongest conference in all of college basketball. And I'll get to that a little bit more in my burning question for this conference. My player of the year is unequivocally, I think he can literally take a knee on it right now, it is Brandon Miller. He is the most fascinating freshman in the country to watch right now because of what he can do with the basketball in his hands. And he's a freshman at Alabama. He shoots the lights out from three. 45% on seven and a half attempts per game, averaging 19 points per game as well. Also about nine rebounds too. This guy, six foot nine, will be the first freshman off the board in the NBA draft. He shot up draft boards. A lot of people were high on him in the preseason coming into the year, but he is unequivocally the player of the year in the SEC. And that's coming from a conference that had the national player of the year last season with Oscar Shibwe at Kentucky. I, I love watching Brandon Miller. It reminds me a lot of Paul George. I think that, and this is why, part of why I say if you're the Bulls, You should blow it up because you could get a guy like Brandon Miller in the top four of the draft, even maybe at four, uh, because there are some guys in the overtime elite G League and then obviously the prize of everything, Victor Wembanyama. Those may be the first three guys off the board, but number four, you've got a stud sitting for you right there with Brandon Miller. Uh, In in a game in the NBA that is wing-driven, Brandon Miller is probably playing the... There's two things with Brandon Miller. He's with the perfect system. For improving and bolstering draft status. And that is playing at Alabama with Nate Oates. Who really prides himself on the 3 and D style of play that the NBA adopts. Very heavily into the analytics of basketball as well as Nate Oates. And also just the fact that he his body just fits the modern day NBA. Lanky 6 foot 9 guy with a long wingspan as well. And this is a guy that NBA scouts are going to be salivating over, over the course of the next couple of months. And obviously into March as well. I think he's going to be a reason why Alabama can get to the sec championship, but I don't know if they'll be able to win just because of how much youth they are utilizing right now. We're Tennessee more of a veteran team coach who's, who's won some conferences too. So I will, I will lean with, with Tennessee to win, but Brandon Miller is my player of the year. He is, not just the most fun player, I think, to watch in the SEC, but in the entire country right now. Brandon Miller's my guy. All right. The burning question that I have for the SEC. Will conference cannibalization keep them from getting as many top three seeds as they truly deserve? Remember, the top 16 seeds, top 16 teams that are seeded in college basketball aren't necessarily the top 16 teams, right, in terms of talent and skill. And I think the SEC is going to have four or five teams that should fit that billing of top 16, but how many will, or top 12, how many, how many of those will truly get to a top 12 though? That to me is going to be interesting to watch because the latest Lenardi bracketology only had, and again, it's December, end of December, heading into January, New Year's on the horizon. The latest bracketology only had two SEC teams with a three seed or better. It was Tennessee and Alabama right now. But I think that ultimately the SEC is going to have five or six teams that could be playing at a top 16 level in all of college basketball. When you look at Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, and then throw in Auburn and Mississippi State as well, you're going to have a lot of really good teams. And listen, if I'm a two seed or a one seed and I have to draw maybe a an Arkansas as a four seed and the sweet sixteen, that is not the matchup that I want because of the way and, and how good the SEC is. I think you're you're gonna see the winner of the SEC. Like a lot of conferences you see the winners with with fourteen, fifteen, sometimes even sixteen wins, um, especially in, in a twenty-game. Uh, conference slate that a lot of team a lot of conferences are adopting now. I'm guessing the winner of the SEC is going to have 13 wins, and, and they play an 18 game conference slate as opposed to the 20 that you'll see some play. But I'm guessing the winner of the SEC is going to have 13 conference wins, just because it is going to be a grind every single night. To go out and win this thing. So that is my burning question. And that is my preview of what to watch for in the SEC. Let's move along here to the conference that right now Ken Palm has as the number one conference. According to their rating system. And the conference that is home to the reigning national champions. And that is the Big 12. My winner's circle for the Big 12. I've got Kansas. I've got Texas. I've got Baylor. And then I've got a steep drop-off after that. There's some solid teams in the Big 12. Everyone's sort of bunched in. Nobody's bad, but nobody's really that good. And actually, you know what? I'm going to throw one more in that I, I, I'm just looking right now that I miss, and that's TCU. I'm going to add TCU to the mix right now. Um, I've actually been really impressed with the way they've rebounded after an early season bad loss to Northwestern State. I, I do have a future on FanDuel of TCU to win the national championship. I believe I got it at like fifty to one. Um but right now when you look at the the odds on FanDuel for the Big Twelve, Kansas is your leader at plus one eighty five, followed by Baylor and Texas, each at plus three hundred. And then you got TCU at plus nine hundred. I think there's some value there to throw on TCU. They've really taken care of business. They're well coached uh with Jamie Dixon who you may remember from his time at Pitt. I, I really like um this TCU team as maybe a surprise in college basketball for this season. But Kansas is the team that I'm going to roll with to win yet another big 12 regular season. They have just looked like a juggernaut here to start the year 11 and one with their loan loss coming in the battle for Atlanta's championship to Tennessee. Um, you took care of business against Indiana. Mizzou's a team that's actually been pretty good so far in the confines of the SEC. Um, and you killed them. Kill them, ninety five to sixty seven, and you also took down Seton Hall, another power conference team, ninety one sixty five. So they've blown out some some teams, including Indiana, and I don't even think we saw Kansas at their best. And they just have all the pieces right now in a sport that is starving to find guards, in a sport that relies so heavily on guards too. Kansas has one of the best in Daywon Harris. He's been a steadying force, and he just looks like a guy who's won a national championship. And that's exactly what you want at the point guard position if you're Kansas. So Daywan Harris, along with Jalen Wilson, who is my player of the year in the conference. You know, I, I brought up the odds earlier with um, the national player of the year. And Zach Eady already at a minus 145. I think there is some supreme value on Jalen Wilson right now to win this at plus 1,000. He is currently tied for second in terms of the odds alongside Oscar Shibway. Um But Jalen Wilson so far this season, let me read you his stats, averaging 21 points, 9 rebounds, and about 3 assists. Um, he's shooting 33% from 3. Hopefully that number gets a little bit better, but that is an uptick from what we saw last year. And he's doing it on 6 attempts per game. But I think that when things are all said and done, Kansas could end up being the team that is better. And Jalen Wilson, I think, means more to his team because he's going to be that guy that's going to be playing 35, 36 minutes a night. And I, I think that he's going to be more adept to stay out of foul trouble as opposed to Zach Eady, who may get into a lot of foul trouble and may have to sit out some games for a significant time because of the nature of just big men getting foul trouble, right? Like that's just a trend that you see in in not just college basketball, but every level of basketball, big guys, foul guards, come to the basket and get hacked. It happens. You're going to have games where Zach Edy fouls out. Zach Edy maybe only plays 20 minutes per game all because of foul trouble. And that's why I'm looking at the odds. And on FanDuel plus a thousand looks pretty tasty to me. So I I like Jalen Wilson as my player of the year. I do have a future on him on FanDuel at plus a thousand to to win the player of the year nationally as well. Here's my burning question for the Big Twelve, and that is, what is Texas without Chris Beard? If you remember, Chris Beard currently on an indefinite suspension from Texas after he was charged with assault by strangulation and suffocation on a family member, which is a third-degree felony in in Austin, Texas. So he has been suspended over the last couple of games, and Rodney Terry has been the interim coach for the Longhorns for the last, I believe, four games it is for Texas. So what is this Texas team going to look like without him? Yes, they're 4-0, and but Chris Beard is the engine for this team, and the reason why the turnaround has happened so quickly, and they look like a really good college team like under shaka they had moments but you always knew like the shaka stink was eventually going to weed that team out from actually having success in the postseason chris beard has gone to a national championship so with his future insignificant doubt what can this team be with an interim coach you're four and oh right now but your wins are rice stanford louisiana and texas a&m commerce so you're four and oh against four substandard teams and all those games have been home or semi-home games. What's this team going to look like without Chris Beard moving forward? You get into the Big 12, and you, you're going to be going up against a solid team every single night. There are no bad teams in the Big 12. So I I don't know how that's going to affect Texas. I, I think it's it's going to hurt more than it'll help. And obviously I'm not calling for Chris Beard to to be rushed back uh into the the fold and be put back on the sidelines, because I think that you do have to let this process play out before you do make any sort of rash decision in either direction so this is this is certainly a an interesting time for Texas, and how they overcome this I think is really gonna tell the story of their season and could be the reason why they either win or or lose the conference all right Let's move on to the big East here. And my winner circle is a circle of one. I, I'm saying right now, UConn is the only team that can win this conference. The Big East is a disaster right now in terms of the caliber of team that they have. Um, you've got a couple teams that have danced out to some three and O starts. You've got UConn, Xavier, Providence, but I look at one of the teams that I thought could really challenge. And not even challenge UConn. I think this team was the the preseason favorite for for the Big East. It was Creighton. And I have been dead wrong on Creighton so far. Eight and six. They went through a six-game losing streak. Listen, I thought this was a Creighton team that could get to the Final Four. Final Four teams don't go on six-game losing streaks. I mean, top 25 teams don't go on six-game losing streaks. But that's exactly what they did. Albeit, they were against some good teams. All teams you've heard of. Arizona, Texas, Nebraska, BYU, Arizona State, and Marquette. They've bounced back with a couple of wins in the conference to Paul and Butler, but those are two of the worst teams in the Big East right now. In terms of teams that I think could maybe challenge, UConn, I'll go with Xavier. Xavier's looked pretty strong so far, and those two teams actually meet up this weekend in what should be a, a fun game. And then Marquette, I think, is another team that could challenge great or challenge with Xavier, but I don't think they're on the level of UConn. I look at Marquette as a team that starts usually has a nice start with, or not just Marquette, really, but the Shaka Smart experience. Nice little start usually, but after that, you can get into some trouble with Shaka because the the it, it just kind of fades down the stretch. It's a big reason why he hasn't won a tournament game in a decade. Um, so. I think those are two teams that could maybe challenge and, and hang around in the mix. But I, 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 let me just skip to my burning question because I think that this is it goes hand in hand with the winner's circle here. How many games will UConn win the regular season by? So Ken Palm lays out projections of what it thinks the the teams will will win in conference, and right now it has UConn going seventeen and three on a twenty game conference slate. And winning the conference by four games. I think that's actually light. I think UConn is going to win this conference by six or seven games. Just because of the lack of talent that exists below them right now. They are head and shoulders above the crowd right now. And to me, like I I look at... Okay, so UConn's ranked second right now. And I talked about Purdue, number one in the country, right? And I asked the question, one of my burning questions in the Big Ten was... Can Purdue sustain this? I'm not asking that question with UConn, and here's why. Even though UConn also began the season unranked, and these two teams have kind of been the the highest risers throughout college basketball this season and find themselves sort of in similar situations. But the reason why I'm not asking the question, can UConn sustain this, is a couple of reasons. First of all, the Big East is not nearly what the, the Big Ten is. The Big East is a bad conference right now, with one of the most that just happens to have one of the most dominant teams in college basketball. Um, and we've seen UConn go out and really dominate as of late. I mean, they went through a stretch where every single win was by double digits. Um, you, you have to to go and, and if you're you're tracking who who haven't they beat by double digits, that streak was actually just snapped. It was their their Big East opener. Or not opener, their, their third straight Big East win um, against Villanova, and it was just snapped this past Wednesday. They went 13 straight games, winning by double digits, and that include taking down Alabama, a team that I really like. Now, the schedule that they have played is not nearly on par with what Purdue has played so far, which is why if I were to give you a top 12 for today, I would still have Purdue number one, and I may still have Purdue number one, but I think Purdue will trip up at some point and lose a game. Whereas, if you told me right now that UConn's going to end the the season thirty one and zero, I'm not selling that. I think that is a real possibility just because of the the weakness that exists in the Big East right now. But you are going to have to go out on the road. And win some games. And it starts this Saturday against Xavier. That, I think, is going to be a good game. UConn on the road. But we've seen UConn just kind of brush that to the side at times. And take matters into their own hands and win by 15, 20 points against teams that you think, Huh, this this might be a good game today. Um, But you're you're going to have Xavier on the road. You're going to play Creighton on the road as well. Marquette on the road. So there's going to be plenty of, of fun games night in and night out on the Big East slate. And I think this Creighton uh, or this uh, UConn team is, is really primed to, to win this conference by six or seven games. I really do. I think they're going to look like one of the most dominant power conference winners this season. My player of the year, only fitting that you can go with someone from the Huskies. And that is Adama Sanogo. their big man. He's been a dominant force the last couple of years with them. And this year, I think he's really going to take the leap into national stardom He'll be in the conversation for player of the year when it's all said and done nationally. I don't think he ultimately wins it um, just because of some of the other guys that are. I think will put up gaudier numbers. Right now, Sonogo averaging about 18 points and 7 rebounds. I think you'll see better numbers throughout, but hey, if, if this UConn team does go 31-0, and 0, then it'd be really tough to to shy away from from Sanogo. Right now on FanDuel, he's plus 2,200 to win Player of the Year. So you're looking at, at some really, really strong odds if you want to put a little bit of couch change on Adama Sonogo to win the, the National Player of the Year. All right, couple more left to get to here. Let's go to the ACC. And the winner's circle right now... I've got Virginia, I've got Duke, I've got UNC, and I'll throw a bone as well to Virginia Tech. Although we could see them fade as the season goes goes along. Here, um, I think Duke is the team that's ultimately going to win the regular season in the ACC. I think Virginia is a good team, um, and, but I think Duke right now has the star power, along with a little bit of veteran presence, which you don't always get with a Duke roster. I look at some of the losses that this team has had this year. Five-point loss to Kansas, neutral site. You, you lose to Purdue in the PK-85. Um, you get your doors blown off in that game, but Purdue's the number one team in the country right now. The puzzling loss, though, is Wake Forest. But I, I laid it out. I was on a, a XM show with my, my buddy Ben Stevens, and I, we were talking about that game, and... I said the one, I, I, I liked Wake Forest to cover, I believe it was like a seven and a half or eight point spread that day. I liked Wake Forest to cover that spread because the one thing Wake Forest can do is throw size at you. And the one thing that you can see Duke struggle with is when they have size thrown at them. I think that when you get into the meat of the the ACC, that size really dwindles down. Only five other teams in the ACC are top 100 in the country in height. And I think that really favors Duke moving forward. A, a lot of these other power conferences, you'll see six, seven, eight teams in the top hundred. Um, but that's not the case in the ACC right now. Duke's next game is against Florida state. They'll be able to throw some height at them. Um, but I just think Florida state's just so bad that it's not going to ultimately matter that much. Maybe they cover a spread, but I don't think they'll, they'll have a chance against Duke. Um, and, and also in that Wake Forest game too, Duke was without Derek Lively and Derek White and Derek uh, Derek Whitehead, who um, were both missing the game with illnesses. And th- those are the top two players ranked in the the class of twenty twenty. What would that be? Twenty twenty two. So the top two freshmen in the country that you were without, and you lose the game on the road to Wake Forest. So I'm not worried about Duke, even though they do have three losses so far. I do think they still win the ACC. But I would watch out for Virginia and UNC as well because Virginia has just played a really steady brand of basketball this year. And I think UNC is starting to figure out their identity, um, which shouldn't have taken this long, but they are sharing the basketball at a much better rate. When they are sharing the basketball at, and, and assisting on 50%, of their of their made field goals, they're unstoppable. It's just when you see some selfish basketball and you see some chucking, that's when the team finds itself in a little bit of danger and that's exactly what UNC has figured out these last four games they, they're on a four game winning streak and really have looked really good um, as of late so I, I think UNC is going to be in the conversation um, but they're gonna have to continue to they're gonna have to continue to show that they can share the basketball and not fall into these little holes and that four game losing streak that they had earlier this season my Player of the Year. In the ACC, this may be uh, uh, one that people are surprised by, and I'm looking right now at the uh, at the Ken Palm because Ken Palm does it's all it updates this frequently. It's all Ken Palm team in the ACC, and it's a guy that's not on the list. Uh, but I'm going Keye Clark out of Virginia. He fits the criteria of what voters, especially in the ACC, you get a lot of those those crusty old like legacy. ACC basketball writers down there who have been covering the sport since Jordan was was uh, Mike Jordan at at uh at North Carolina and they'll love a guy like Kihei Clark. Hard-nosed guy, plays both ends of the floor, maybe the best defensive player on the ball in the entire country. Just a feisty guy that plays above his size, only 5 foot 10, but still a menacing player on the perimeter and he's a point guard like leadership qualities fifth year guy has a championship under his belt like you can list the resume up and down and kihei clark fits it he's just a college basketball dude he had a couple plays the other night against albany where literally back-to-back possessions he stole uh not the inbound pass but he stole the ball in the backcourt from the guard that was taking it up for albany and took it to the the hoop for he literally stole four points from albany in a 20-point win um but I think it's going to be Hey Clark, um and and not just uh, does is he fantastic on the defensive end as well, but he's a great facilitator for this team. Five and a half assists and averages eleven point two points. But you got to remember too, like those aren't gaudy numbers. But for Virginia, when, when if you were to pace adjust these, you're looking more at like a seventeen and an eight type of guy, and he's also going to get you a, a steal and a half a game too. So. I, I like Kihei Clark. He kind of just fits the bill of what the player in the, of the year will look like in the ACC. In terms of what the the odds are for uh, the ACC, actually, uh, I'm not seeing odds right now on, on FanDuel right now, and that is because North Carolina and Pitt are in the middle of a game, but I will bring you those odds at another point in the se- in the season, and we can discuss where where they all land there. All right, let's move on. To the PEC, or no? My burning question for the ACC. I did not get to this. Will the ACC be the worst Power Five conference? Because that's been a, a topic of conversation. And one thing that Ken Palm does is they have their rankings of the conference, their conference power rankings, and of the power power conferences, the ACC is last. Now, I think part of the product there is the fact that. This is the, there's more teams in the, the ACC than any other conference. They've got 15 teams. You play a 20 game slates. You're going to have some clunkers in there. And when you have 15 teams, yes, you're going to have some bad, but right now uh, you look at, I look at when the ACC went through realignment, right? And they add Louisville, Pitt, Syracuse, um, Notre Dame, you add those for Boston college, you add those five teams to your conference while also losing Maryland in the process. And you look at, especially the, the marquee names of of what I just laid out for you, right? Like Syracuse, traditional basketball power, Louisville, traditional basketball power. Um, even like Pitt like when Pitt was in the big East, they, they were a team that could get you a one seed. Right. And those three teams have been absolute disappointments since coming to the conference on a regular season basis. Like, Syracuse has had postseason success. Louisville has had regular season success, but you've never really seen those teams be in the mix for an ACC title. Pitt has been a disaster. BC is BC. I, I think you just kind of added them to, to get that Boston market there. Um, but those those top-tier teams that you were expecting to come into this conference – And and be significant players for you just haven't been. Even Notre Dame hasn't been quite up to snuff in the ACC. So I think that can the ACC be not the worst conference this season? I I think so. Like, I laid out every reason why the Big East has been a disaster. I think the best of the best in the ACC will beat the best of the best in the, the Big East. And I also think, too, like... I don't look at the conferences and say you're only as strong as your weakest link. No, I look at it as for anyone that maybe like ran cross country or track, you know how this works it, and, uh, or if you were like playing uh, high school golf too or college golf, it's you take like your top five or your top seven finishers. And I think if you took the top five, seven teams in the ACC, matched them up with the top five, seven in the Big East and did like a little Big East ACC challenge, the ACC would whoop them. The ACC would probably go five and two, maybe even six and one. So I, I think that the ACC is not the worst conference, even though right now the Ken Palm metrics have them there. I think it's more of a product of the volume in the conference as opposed to the quality in the conference. Last of the power conferences here, and that is the Pac 12. I've got a two team winner circle. It is UCLA and it is Arizona. And I think that this conference is going to literally come down to the last game of the season in the regular season because it is UCLA and Arizona. Both of these teams will trip up at certain points in the Pac-12 just because of the way that the the flight schedules are. You're on the road for a little bit. It's tough sometimes when you're away from your home court for that long in the Pac-12. But I think UCLA ultimately comes out on top Because UCLA is the more balanced team. I talked about this with Arizona. I was impressed with them in the win against Tennessee. The Wildcats have the number one offense in the country, but they also have the number 67 defense in the country, according to Ken Palm. UCLA, much more balanced. Number six offense, number 10 defense. That fits in the formula of a national title Contender usually you got to be in the top fifteen in both offense and defense, and you can win a national title according to those Ken Palm metrics. There, I think that UCLA they blend a lot of veteran talent, guys that have been to a Final Four, with Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, while while also having some young talent too, like Amari Bailey. Um, I, I think Jalen Clark, the step that he's made as well, like this is a, and again, I brought this up earlier. In a sport that is starving for guards right now, UCLA is one of the teams that has one. I kind of liken it to this: like, think about when you're talking about the the best teams in terms of future outlook in in the NFL, right? Why are some teams in terms of looking at future outlook? Why are people a little bit higher on the Bears' future than maybe Washington or the Giants or the Jets? It's because even though those other teams right now might be a little bit better, like there are teams right now that are better than UCLA, but UCLA has the point guard. And that's why their future outlook, I think, can be better in the scheme of things. And once you get into the tournament, you've got a bunch of guys that have been there as well too, been to a Final Four. I think that UCLA is set up pretty well for the long haul here. Um, currently ranked fourth in Ken Palm. And I think that they're going to ultimately get the better of Arizona for the regular season. Um, just looking right now at the the conference outlook on FanDuel, and it's kind of what, what I laid out for you there. These two teams are neck and neck. UCLA, Arizona, each plus 115 to win the conference. So I think that uh, you, you, you pick one, and then maybe you can hedge a little bit. As you get to that final game of the season, but that is who I like right now. I, I think UCLA ultimately is the one that comes away with it. My burning question, or actually no, let me get to the the player of the year in the Pac-12. I'm going to go with a guy on Arizona. Um, I'm going to go with Azulas Tabellis because the the numbers that he's put up so far, and just what he can do defensively as well for this team. Tabella's right now averaging 20 points and about nine rebounds per game, also blocking about a shot and getting a steal as well. For a guy that's six foot eleven, he's out there, and I laid this out a week or two ago, too. He's out there alongside Omar Balu, who's like your traditional anchor center, seven footer, two hundred and sixty pounds, gonna block a lot of shots. Great interior presence. He's that traditional guy. And I think that. The reason why Tobellus is so impressive to me is because he's six foot eleven and usually when you put a six foot eleven guy off on the wing playing defensively, there's some sort of liability there. Six foot eleven, two forty five for Tobellas. There is not a drop off. He plays his ass off defensively and is a really, really good player on the defensive end as much as he is on the offensive end. So I like Tabellis as the player of the year, even though I think UCLA has more candidates for player of the year. I think Arizona ultimately has the best player in the conference with Azulus Tabellis. All right, let me give you a little quick best of the rest here, and these are like some of the the non power conference teams that I think can be in the mix when you get to the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, on Final Four. There is really only two that I look at: they're Houston and Gonzaga. So. Houston, and I think the burning question is the same for both teams. Will they be able to run the table in their conference play? Gonzaga in the WCC. Last year, the WCC was an extremely strong conference, um, but I don't think it's nearly as good this year as it was last year. The WCC was better than the Pac-12 last year, top to bottom. Um, And then the same thing on the other side for Houston. Can they run the table in their conference because the AAC, not the strongest out there. Um, I think one of the, I don't think both of these teams will, will run the table. If I had to pick one that does, I would probably go with Gonzaga, but that's more of a a product of who their competition is as opposed to if I think they're the better team. I think Houston's the better team, but I think Gonzaga has the easier path to uh, run the table within their conference. So, Those are the two. And then the the players of the year from this group, Marcus Sasser from Houston, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. You know Timmy very well. You may not be as well acquainted with Sasser, but he's a a guard. He has struggled a little bit this year. Hasn't played nearly as well as I think some people thought he would, especially from three. Hasn't shot the ball nearly as well. He's shooting 32% from three. Uh, Usually, like I mean, last year was a 44% three-point shooter before he went down with injury. And he's doing it on high volume too. He had 103 attempts in just 12 games last year. So um, I, I think that you'll you'll see the you'll see him find his stride in when when the AAC opens up. He's gotten some help so far with Houston and some of these guys that have stepped up. Jarris Walker's been really good for them. He's a, a freshman, uh, four or five star guy uh jamal shed has been another good guard to work alongside but ultimately i think Sasser's is going to have to find that three ball touch um and but he's just again as i've said with a couple other teams houston has the guard where a lot of teams are still searching for that right now and, and drew timmy's drew timmy right like we know who drew timmy is um you've seen him stroke the mustache and, and lace up a double double night in and night out um You're not going to find value on these on FanDuel for for betting an outright future here. Houston minus 470 to win the AAC and Gonzaga minus 950 to to win the WCC. So I would not be laying those sort of prices right now. Maybe we go back and revisit if something happens. But for right now, I'm going to say no. All right. That is going to do it for us here. Hope everyone has a wonderful new year. Start to 2023. We'll be back with you next week talking all things college basketball because we'll have a full slate of conference games under our belt. Can't wait for it. We'll also hoping to talk with Brian Hanley next week too to, to do our pick segment again because we haven't done that in a couple of weeks and partially because the slates have really sucked as of late. So. Hopefully that will all be better and ironed away once we get into conference play again. Have every everyone have a safe, happy New Year and we will talk to you guys in 2023.